This podcast is brought to you by The Province. Listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the province. Here are your hosts, Paul Chapman and E. Spencer Kite. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Keyboard Kimura podcast here on Province Sports Radio. Taping this on Thursday, November 3rd, a week and change out from UFC 205. I am your host, E. Spencer Kite. Very happy to be joined. By UFC welterweight title challenger Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Thank you for doing this, man. How are things? Man, it's great. You know, just got done training. Uh, we got a little over a week to go, man, before I step out there on November 12th. I think it's Tyron Woodley. Yeah, we were just sort of talking as we were setting this up, and I, I said it's awesome, as, and, and I didn't expect different. I've talked to you throughout your, your career now and know you a little bit. It, it doesn't surprise me that you're going to teach a karate class to some kids here in a couple hours' time, 10 days out. But you were saying that that sort of, you look at that as job one, and that makes everything else just the fun side of things. How much of an impact has that had on on career? Because you're not necessarily as focused and as, you know, I don't want to say invested, because obviously you're invested in your career, but not as tied up, I guess, in the trappings of Stephen Thompson, professional UFC fighter. <laughs> yeah, man. You know, I, I feel that you know my my true job and calling is, is is teaching, and um, you know, I've been teaching since I was 15 years old, and that's my first love. You know, I feel that, I, that is my real job, and I love it. And fighting is just something fun that I like to do. You know, and um, uh, you know, it's just a bonus for me. And um, you know, fighting for the title and uh, just a week, few weeks time, and you know, kind of shows them and. Uh, my students that, you know, if you put your mind to it and you work hard, you can accomplish your goals. And, and, um, you know, it, it's just, it's just something fun. I can just go out there and have fun. You know, I don't have to rely on winning this fight to, to make money, you know? Um, so that, that right there relaxes me a little bit, you know, when, it, before I step out there during a fight, knowing that no matter what happens, I still have my family that loves me. I still have my job back at home and, and the kids will, and, and the, our karate family will still love me too. Well, and I'm sure the kids haven't changed any perception or way they treat you in the five years that it's been since you've been in the UFC. And as you've made this, this climb up the ladder, I'm sure it was always give you a bit of grief. Some of them a pain in the butt, but lots of them just love you and appreciate what you do. And that's still the same today as you prepare to, to face Tyron here in a week's time. Exactly. You know, I, I go off and fight. Everybody wishes me luck and I get back and man, it's, it's um, just to see the love and the smile on those faces after even a win or a loss, man. Um, you know, it, it, it's just one of the reasons why I do what I do, you know, teaching, teaching them. And um, it's just fun, man. It's, we have a blast. It's, it's definitely, definitely a family uh, oriented environment. And uh, man, I'm going to be doing it from years to come, even after my fight career. So a lot of fighters 
kind of look back on on when they got the bug on when they sort of thought okay this is what I want to do in terms of the UFC and and we all have our stories of I you know I remember personally renting the first two UFC events with my brother back in the VHS days going home watching them instantly trying to guillotine him and just being <laughs> hooked at that point but yours is even even I guess tighter related to the sport because you and I have talked about it in the past. You actually attended one of the early UFCs with your dad and looked at him and was like, okay, this is cool. I'm in. Yeah, man. It was, I think it was UFC two. I think it was where Kimo like got his ponytail pulled out by, uh, <laughs> by, uh, was Gracie. And, um, uh, yeah, man, I remember going to that. It was in Charlotte, North Carolina. I was like 12 years old at the time. It was just me and pops. And I was like, man, this, this is crazy. Uh, just the whole vibe, the, the energy of the fans. And um, I was like, man, I want to do this one day. And now here I am, man, uh, getting ready to fight for the for the welterweight title. So it's definitely a dream come true. Yeah, we've, we've talked along the way. And I know I talked to you in, in February, kind of going into the fight with Johnny and coming out of it, laughing a little bit about, can you believe it's already been four years that you've been in the UFC? And, and did you expect to be at this place? And your answer then, as it is now, was yes, this has always been the goal and I always believed in myself. But now that we're just over a week out and really only three or four days away from hitting New York City and everything that is going to come with it, are you able to take some time for yourself to just reflect on this journey and, and what it means to be at this point and be on the brink of accomplishing this goal? You know, I, it really hasn't. I don't think it's really hit me yet, and I don't think it will till after um, everything goes down. And I like to keep it that way because, you know, mentally it just keeps me focused on what I need to get done. Uh, if I sit there and I think about, you know, this is I'm getting ready to fight for the title. Uh, this is, a, you know, the biggest fight of my life. And sometimes that can worry you and mess with you mentally. And I'm just going to go out here like I'm fat, like I face everybody else. Like this is just a, a, a normal opponent. And um, um, I'm focused on that right now. Uh, Tyron, that's it. Not, not about the title, not about what's going to happen after my, after my fight, um, with him. And this could be career changing. And, you know, I, I try and keep that suppressed and, um, just focus on the fight. Really. We were talking about not being focused on the belt and everything that may come after that, provided you have a victory at UFC 206. And I wanted to, if we could sort of look back at this progression, um, throughout your UFC career and, and really throughout your MMA career? And are there points that you can sort of look back on and little elements that have come up along the way that you look at as kind of benchmarks in your development and kind of signposts that, that showed you you were on the right track and that this was going to be something you were able to accomplish? Yeah, man. I mean, first off, it started obviously getting that call from UFC um, to begin with, you know. Um, at the time, you know, I felt like I wasn't ready to face. I was going to turn the, the, uh, I was going to turn the inv invitation down to be honest with you. Cause I felt like I wasn't ready. I didn't have the wrestling with the jujitsu, but you know, my dad looked at me and was like, listen, son, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity, man. This is something that you said you wanted to do for a long time. Just go out there and do your thing and have fun with it. You never know what it could take you. So I was like, you know what? You're right. And ended up fighting Dan Stidge and knocking him out in the first round and, and, uh, you know, ended up getting, Knockout of the night, one of the biggest knockouts um, the UFC was talking about. And then obviously my loss to Mass Brown, my first loss in my whole fight career. And I believe if it wasn't for that fight, 
I wouldn't be where I am today. It showed me really what I needed to work on, how I needed to approach this, especially with my weight cut. Um, you know, got that down pat. And um, from then on, it was just a, it was just on a tear, you know, defeating Robert Whitaker in the first round. That's kind of really um, benchmarked where, hey, man, I, I can actually make a run for this. You know, finishing somebody as technical and as good as, as Robert Whitaker. And I know he's on a tear right now, 185. And then obviously defending, uh, de- defeating uh, Jake Ellenberger and Johnny Hendricks in the first round. I mean, these guys are monsters in the top 10 um, and one of them in the top five. And then obviously feeding the number one contender in five five-minute rounds with uh, Rory McDonald. So I was like, man, this is it. I mean, I, I, can, I actually can do this. And, um, of course, I would never have made it if it wasn't for the people that I believe God has put in my life, you know, such as, you know, my brother-in-law, Carlos Machado, who's one of the one of the top jiu-jitsu coaches. Um, Chris Wybin now, who's a big big part of the, of the family, who's taken me, man – uh, above and beyond uh, where I need to be, especially in my wrestling. Um, and of course the people, my, my wrestling coach and my jujitsu coach, Thomas Lee, uh, man, it's just, I keep a very small circle and I keep that for a reason. Um, you know, uh, good positive people that are, that can pick you up and when you're feeling down and that can push you. And even when you want to, sometimes you don't want to go train there, they're making you train. And uh, man, it's just, like I said, I'm, I'm just blessed to be where I'm at. I know for myself and, and for a lot of people as well, those benchmarks and those signposts you mentioned are all the ones that we sort of look back on. And you look back at second fight in the UFC and it's Matt Brown. And at the time, Matt was sort of just starting that run that he went on. And so it, it felt almost like, you know, yeah, this is a good test for this new guy to the UFC to see where he's at. And you look at it a couple of years later, Matt Brown has climbed to where he has, you've gotten to where you've gotten. And it's like, man, we got that in the middle of UFC 145 for Steven's second fight. Like we were, we, we were pretty lucky back then. You've been on that tear since you mentioned the Robert Whitaker fight. That was one that really, for me, made me go, okay, hang on. This is, this is something a little bit different because he is a kid that, as you said, on a great run now, just got promoted to the main event in Melbourne later this month against Derek Brunson, both of them on five fight winning streaks. The one for me, though, and and we've talked about it since, was really the Johnny Hendricks fight because that, to me, was a fight where we saw Stephen Thompson at his absolute best and just how confusing and, you know, difficult you are to deal with i sat there cage side johnny hendricks looked lost throughout the fight didn't understand how to deal with what you were bringing the rory fight wasn't quite the same it was it was more tactical there weren't obviously the first round finish it went five fives but coming out of that johnny fight how much confidence did going in and beating the former champion in such dominant fashion give you going in. I know you told Anik afterwards, title belt baby, and made the, you know, the Aaron Rodgers, the discount double check. But how much confidence did you take from that? And how much did that carry over into another main event fight with Rory? Man, it, it, it was huge, you know? I mean, knowing that he was, I felt then that I had defeated the the welterweight champion because, you know, his last fight with Robbie was, was definitely controversial. Um, so I felt like I defeated the, the the champion. So that right there, defeating somebody is who's been on a tear for so many years in the welterweight division and defeating him in the first round in that fashion just gave me all the confidence in the world to go out there and, um, you know, 
step out there in front of Rory McDonald, who I think is, you know, probably one of the best who uh, stepped out there in, in, in the welterweight division because he's, I mean, he's so well-rounded everywhere. And you know what? Going into that fight, too, I expected to go out there. I wanted, I had a game plan to go out there and just try and push him like I did Johnny Hendricks in the first round, trying to, you know, hopefully defeat him in the first round. But as soon as I stepped out there and he lowered his stance, I knew uh, he was waiting for me to close that gap so he can look for the takedown. So I had to stop and, and, and uh, you know, kind of adapt to that, even though, it, you know, it started out kind of slow because I needed to lure the takedown out because I wasn't really sure what kind of takedown he was going to use. I knew he was going to try something crazy, and he actually did. Once I, you know, defended the takedown a few times, I felt a little bit more comfortable as the fight went on to actually let my hands go. But, uh, yeah, man, it, it was all the confidence in the world, man. You mentioned a little earlier the relationship that you forged with Chris Weidman and the team at, at Law MMA and, and the Long Island guys. How did that relationship start? How did that sort of come up to New York and train situation begin? My my assumption is a little bit of, hey, can you come and mimic Lyoto Machida for me? But I'll let you explain it for people that maybe don't necessarily know how that has come together and, and just the overall impact working with Chris and that group has had on your career and these last couple of fights going forward? You know, they actually got in touch with me with his first fight with Anderson Silva. And um, he was training with a guy named John Danaher. I don't know if you've ever heard of him or not. Absolutely. He trained at, and, um, and I knew John Danaher because when I would go up and train with George, this was before I was even in mixed martial arts. Right. Uh, George St. Pierre was working with John Danaher and he knew that I was uh, very good at, at simulating strikers. So they had brought me in, and I remember that first sparring session I had with Chris Wyman, and we, we kind of talk about it even to today. Um, you know, he was like, who is this scrawny kid that these guys are brought in to, you know, to spar with me? I mean, this guy looks like a dork, you know? And I remember he told me, he was like, I'm going to try and crush this kid. And usually in sparring, he would try and just crush dudes, you know, to the body, make him drop, make him quit. And he said he was giving it all he got um, in that in that first uh, first sparring session. He was trying to drop me. He was like, man, this kid's still in my face, man, punching me in the head. And after that, you know, I, I came back for a second fight with Anderson Silva, then Leo Machida, then Vitor Belfort have been part of his camps ever since. And I think it was the Leo Machida fight where uh, I brought my brother – my younger brother, Tony, to, to New York. And I didn't even know Chris had a sister at the time. And they ended up meeting, man. They hit it off. Next thing you know, Colleen, Chris's sister, was moving down to South Carolina. <laughs> and then, then they got married, and now we're family. So it's <laughs> it's crazy how all that just happened, man. It, it's definitely a blessing. Well, and to the start of that, anybody that knows John Danaher or has you know heard stories of John Danaher would know that he was in there just absolutely no-selling you and deadpanning to Chris about the skills you have and building you into this juggernaut so that you walk in, as you said, scrawny kid, look like a bit of a dork. And Chris just thinks he's getting ribbed by John Danaher. So shout out to the the philosophical professor for starting this relationship that is that has <laughs> not only led to growth and development of a couple very talented fighters, but ultimately a marriage and a, and a new family relationship as well. So congrats on that. <laughs> Well, thank you. I know it wouldn't have happened. Thanks, John Danaher. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Keyboard Kimura podcast on Province Sports Radio. E. Spencer Kite with UFC welterweight title challenger, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. 
we are about 10 days away now, so we will get into this actual fight with Tyron. You were on Fox Sports 1 right after UFC 201. Tyron goes out, scores the victory over Robbie Lawler, wins the title, cuts to you live in the studio, and you say, come on, man, give me that shot. And he says, you know what, you're going to have to wait. What was your, you were on camera, so you couldn't have had, you know, the full reaction. But what went through your mind and what was the initial reaction when you hear Tyron Woodley say, you know, I'd rather fight George St. Pierre, Nick Diaz, two guys that haven't been around for a while. That, <laughs> that, I mean, I was literally like, what the heck is this guy talking about? I mean, he's literally had the belt on for 30 seconds and he's already, you know, asking for a money fight. I'm like, first off, this guy was in my situation not too long ago, um, begging to get the, the welterweight title fight. And a lot of people didn't think that he even deserved it. He was ranked number four. They gave it to him anyway. So I thought it was definitely kind of hypocritical for him to say no to me. You know what I mean? Um, you know, I think if it, if you are asking for a money fight, you need to defend the title a few times before that happens. And, and, uh, I just thought it was kind of a joke, you know, I was like, who is this? What is Who is this guy? And, um, and I think a lot of the fans did as well. And they kind of rallied behind me and, was getting on social media and, uh, and, you know, I think, and I take my hat off to a lot of those, a lot of those fans out there who, who kind of got behind me and helped me, uh, uh, get this fight. Yeah. What was the process for you as, as sort of your team working with your, your guys at paradigm management in pursuing it? Did you go right away and say, look, this is, this is obviously what we've earned. Um, we've put in the work, we've put in the victories, we're just going to sit here and wait till you come around to this. And how quickly did it end up coming together? I know Tyron said yesterday on the conference call that as soon as he was given that actual offer and the bout sheet was put in front of him, he signed off on it. So how long did you have to sit in limbo waiting? Is it going to be my time before you knew New York UFC 205 Tyron Woodley and the welterweight title? You know what? We didn't know it was going to happen till the day he announced it on Fox Sports 1. We had no idea what was going on. I know we were trying to shoot for it. There were some things that were happening. Uh, there was still talk. You know, uh, we had mentioned fighting him. Um, it was like six weeks before he even announced it um, that they were talking about us fighting. And he was saying, no, I'm not fighting you. <laughs> you know, I haven't signed a contract. You know, I'm fighting George St. Pierre. And um, so it wasn't – and then, of course, Carlos uh, – not Carlos Conn, um Damian Maya defeating Carlos Condon. Right. Uh, I then I was like, crap, man, am I really <laughs> gonna get this? Am I gonna get this fight or not? You know, is this guy gonna get it? You know, is George coming back? So it was a lot of a lot of things out there that you know made us not really sure that we were gonna get it. You know, and it wasn't until the day that he announced it on Fox Sports when I was actually teaching karate. I class. was just gonna say, were you, were you watching it? Did you see it happen and get to have that release, or was it like a check check your texts situation? Yeah. Well, I was teaching karate classes. One of our karate parents kind of jumped up in the air and started going crazy. Like, you got the fight. You got the fight. I was like, wait a second. What? And they showed me uh, – somebody had posted on Facebook him announcing it. I'm like, what? And like nobody called me nothing. That's how I found out that it was actually happening. So as soon as classes were over, I contacted my manager and he was like, yeah, dude, it's on. So that's how I found out, man. And what was – what was the initial reaction? What was, you know, the initial emotion? Because as you said earlier in the show, try to separate all of that stuff for now and not focus on it. But in that moment of, okay, this is real, 
what goes through your head and and what's that initial burst of emotion for you man it was it was excitement and straight nervousness right <laughs> off the bat like like oh my god this is happening you know I was so nervous and and I remember as soon as I found out, you know, we were talking. I'm like, wait, what am I doing? I need to be training right now. Let's train. Let's go. And, uh, of course, I was training because I never knew if it was going to happen or not. So I was training as if it was, you know. But still, even when you're you're training and, you, and it, you're, you're not sure if it's going to happen or not, it's like a different feel. But as soon as I knew it was happening, it was go time, man. It was like, you know, I was so fired up and, and uh, you know, I was, I was ready to start training right then and there. I know that you, like a lot of fighters these days, emphasize your skills, your game plan, what you're going to do in the cage. But how much do you sit down with your dad, with some of your other coaches, and look at what Tyron has done sort of over his last few fights? Um, Not a lot to go on from the Robbie Lawler fight because it ended so quickly. But do you put in that time of sort of looking for tells and looking for little areas to exploit or is it, you know what, let's just get in there and, and see how things flow and adapt on the fly? Yeah, no, man. Actually, we go back and we do watch film and, you know, just to see if there's any dramatic changes that he's made. And and you can actually tell a lot of fighters, um, you know, those are the ones you got to watch out for. Like like Rory McDonald, for instance. You know, every time you see him fight, he's always got something new up his sleeve. And that's a that's a very dangerous guy and very hard to prepare for because you don't know what he's going to do. So yeah, we definitely looked at his very first fights all the way up to his most recent fight. Even though you know you didn't really see a whole lot, it was still it was still you know the same Tyron Woodley. Um, you know, likes to throw the big the big right hand, clinches, looks for the takedown. Um, so yeah, we definitely go back and look at that. But sometimes you may have a game plan going out there, and you know if if there is, uh, if he does make some changes, you have to be ready to adapt to that right off the bat. And but we're prepared for whatever happens. So um, yeah, man, we're we're totally prepared for this fight. So not to give away any of the Team Wonder Boy secrets, but when you look at a guy like Tyron, what are the things you sort of focus in on and have to be aware of when that octagon door shuts next Saturday in New York City? Well, obviously, the, the the right hand that put Robbie Lawler to sleep, and he's put a lot of guys to sleep with that right hand. You know, he touches you with that, you're going down. So, I know I've got a hard head, but still, <laughs> he's got, you know, that that thing's got he's got that one hitter quitter power. So, definitely watching out for that right hand, and and um, he's a very tense guy. He doesn't seem too relaxed out there, and that can that can uh, affect you in the long run, especially when you have that ner- nervous energy. And if you can. Um, go out there and, and make him use that nervous energy by, you know, moving around, throwing feints, and keeping him on, on point the whole time. It could wear you out, you know, burn that nervous energy up. And, uh, you know, if you see in the past, he he's very explosive, very very uh, gung ho in the first round, and after that, he slows down just a little bit. So I expect him to do the same thing. You know, he's going to go out here and try and finish me in the first round, and uh, obviously look for the takedown and. Um, I think everybody that I face uh, is going to want to take me down eventually. So, um, yeah, I'm going to be ready for that. You know, if it, if, it, if if the knockout happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. You know, I'm going to be ready for a five, five-minute round war. So it's been a little less than three years since George St. Pierre vacated the welterweight title. There have been three champions since then. Only Robbie Lawler was able to successfully defend the title, doing so twice. Once in that classic with Rory McDonald. Once in a very close fight earlier this year, feels like ages ago, against Carlos Condit. 
My question to you is, are you the guy to become the next dominant champion in the welterweight division? And, and what separates you from these, these guys that necessarily haven't been able to hold on to that title in this very competitive division? You know what? This division is crazy, man. It is a very, I mean, one of the toughest divisions in the UFC. I think if, you know, if not the toughest, um, division. So, you know, the only thing that I do is I go out there and fight and, and I really don't think about where it could take me, I guess. I don't, I really don't sit lay lay down at night and think about where, where I could be in five years if I, you know, keep winning or whatever. I just, I kind of roll with it, man. That's the kind of guy I've always been. Just roll with it. Whatever happens, happens. And, um, of course, if I'm, if I have a job to do, I want to be the best at that job. If I got to go out there and I'm going to fight somebody, I'm going to be the best um, I can be when I step out there in that moment. And and it's done well for me so far. And if I do win this title um, or when I win this title, there you go, um, you know, I, I'm going to be the best champion. I want to try and be a good champion uh, for the way to division for everybody else. I wanted to look up to, you know, I got 600 kids back here in South Carolina who watch every move that I make. And I want to be a role model, not just for them, but for anybody who wants to get into the sport to make the sport grow. And um, I think it is my karate background that that has helped me get. I know it's my karate background that's helped me get to where I am with the movement, with uh, it's just an awkward and very frustrating style to try and to try and, uh, you know, uh, figure out when you're out there in the octagon. Um, So I think that's definitely helped me get to where I am. And when you get that hand raised and you get that belt wrapped around your waist and Damian Maya comes up to you and says, hey, man, I got next. You're not going to be telling him, hold on. I'm thinking about Nick Diaz or George St. Pierre. <laughs> no, man. You know, whoever's most deserving of the fight, you know, um, I'll definitely give it to him, man. You know, I'm not the guy that's going to go out there and call out money fights. Whoever wants to fight, let's fight. And I think that's what a champion should be. Just take on all, all comers. Last one before I let you get out of here. You mentioned very early on as we were talking about sort of your journey into and and falling in love with this sport, sitting watching UFC 3 with your dad. He has been your coach from Jump Street. He is by your side every step of this way. What's it mean for you kind of on the eve of this opportunity to have that and, and to be able to share that with him every step of the way through the kickboxing career through the knee injuries that, you know, maybe we're going to end your career to this point now. Man, I know I can see it in his eyes. He is, you know, if I win or if I lose, he is, I know he, he's so proud of me and I'm proud of him for sticking with me every day. And, and of course, you know, we have a great relationship. We know how to separate it in the gym, outside the gym. And I know we butt heads sometimes and I can be hard to work with, but, Man, he's been there every step of the way, man. And my, my dad and my mom both uh, and my coaches, they, they've made a lot of sacrifices for me uh, to be able to do what I love to do, and that's fight. So whenever I do bring this belt, man, it's going up in the school. I'm not taking it home. It's for everybody to enjoy to help me – that helped me get to where I am. And and it's gonna that's where it's going to stay. It's going to stay right there for my dad, my mom, my coaches, my sparring partners who sacrificed their bodies for me you know, for sparring and, you know, the abuse that they go through and it, it you know, it, it, it's for everybody to enjoy. And I, I would never have 
have gotten to where I am if it wasn't for them. And I just want to let them know that I love them, you know? Before we sign off, let everybody know coming into next week and going forward how they can pay attention to Stephen Thompson, follow all the social, and stay up to date on everything going on for UFC 205 and beyond. Man, well, all right, guys. Well, first off, you guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Wonderboy MMA. Facebook, it's Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. And uh, so check it out and tune in, tune in, November 12th, UFC 205. He is Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. As he said, UFC 205, co main event of the evening for the welterweight title against Tyron Woodley. It has been an absolute pleasure to have you on, man. It is great catching up. I appreciate you doing this a week and change out from the biggest fight of your life. Stay healthy these next couple days. I'm knocking on wood for you and all the fans that are looking forward to seeing this. Really do appreciate it. As always, everybody, thank you for tuning in. We appreciate the support. Go subscribe on iTunes. Leave us a rating. One star if you think we're awful. Five stars if you think we're awesome. Right in the middle at three if you think we do a reasonably good job. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Spencer Kite. Stay tuned to Province Sports. We'll have a bunch of stuff throughout the week covering UFC 205. But most importantly, be good to one another. You've been listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the province. Read the Keyboard Kimura blog on theprovince.com, follow them on Twitter at Keyboard Kimura, or visit them on Facebook at facebook.com slash Kimura. Kimura.